This is the Right Now Podcast with Sarah Werner. Kind of. (laughs) Actually, this is going to be just an update and an episode swap. So more on that in just a second. But hi, my name is Sarah Werner, and I am the host of the Right Now Podcast. It's great to speak with you again. It's been a while, and there's a lot going on, as always. Just a quick update, I have been out of town and traveling and all sorts of things a lot so far this year. If you follow my Dear Creators newsletter, you're a little bit sort of in the loop there on what's been going on. Uh, For the rest of you, 2022 has been a lot. So I paused the show just because I was not able to create new episodes consistently, but I am relaunching the show starting July 6th, 2022. So I'm excited. We're going to have all new episodes. I have several of them recorded and in the queue because we're going to try to keep this consistent. You know, if you... (laughs) This show has been going since 2015, and I only have, you know, however many episodes, a hundred and something. And I am a lot of things, but I am not incredibly consistent. (laughs) Other podcasts say that they're weekly, and they actually come out weekly, and I really admire them for that. That has just been one of those things that I try, and it's just, it just doesn't work out. But anyway... I'm recording a bunch of episodes ahead of time so that I can release them consistently. So hopefully that will be a new thing. And again, that is starting July 6th. And new episodes of the Right Now podcast will be coming out every Wednesday morning after that. So I'm really looking forward to sharing more of the show with you. Uh, If you've got a little bit of a summer break ahead of you, hopefully you'll enjoy listening to these episodes While I'm not consistent, I am putting my heart and my soul (laughs) into each of these episodes, so I really do hope that you enjoy them. In the meantime, I'm going to do something that I've never done before, and that is an episode swap. So basically, I'm going to be sharing an episode of another podcast with you on this feed, and that other podcast will be sharing an episode of the Right Now podcast on their RSS feed. The swap is with a wonderful podcast called Am Writing. So, you know, like the hashtag Am Writing on Twitter and Instagram. Their show is called Hashtag Am Writing. And it's a little bit different from the Right Now podcast in that the Right Now podcast focuses on sort of the writer's life and how we move forward and, you know, keep creating stuff despite life getting in the way. And we kind of look at the work-life writing balance and what it means to live creatively. Whereas the Am Writing podcast gives you a little bit more of writing advice, which is great because that's something that I don't do a whole lot here. So the Am Writing podcast gives entertaining, actionable advice on craft, productivity, and creativity for writers and journalists in all genres with the hosts Jessica Leahy, KJ Del Antonio, and Serena Bowen. Am Writing offers episodes about finding sensitivity readers, breaking into food writing, prepping a launch for your fiction or nonfiction book, writing a cozy mystery. The list goes on. They have literally hundreds of episodes, uh, most of which are interviews. And that is the type of episode I'm sharing with you today on this RSS feed here over at the Right Now Podcast. I'm sharing an interview of theirs that I really liked called Writer De-Snobification with Catherine Center. 
And I had not heard of Catherine's center before, but after listening to this interview, I went out and followed her on social media and I'm now a big fan. And I wanted to share this episode in particular because the subject matter is really near and dear to my heart. Catherine started out as a literary writer and felt a lot of pressure to write smart literary things and did not discover genre work. So, you know, mysteries, science fiction, romance novels, etc. until later on in life. And when she discovered them, she really found that she loved them, but she struggled with her formal training as a literary author versus the, you know, often stigmatized romance genre. I won't tell her whole story here. I will let her tell it in the episode that is upcoming, but I really think it's worth a listen. Catherine does a great job of explaining where she's coming from and where she's gone and what exactly she learned along the way. She takes a look at the process of figuring out what you love in a book and how to find it in your own work, and then they get into the craft of writing books that satisfy the readerly urges you share, embracing unifying tropes, finding the compelling hook, and how to ground a story that seems too big to be true by creating real characters with relatable problems in familiar settings. I know that the AM writing crew took a lot of notes while they were interviewing Catherine, and I did as well. I was listening while I was out on a walk, and I kept stopping and typing things into my phone so that I wouldn't forget. So I found this to be a really helpful and valuable episode. I hope you do too. Again, this podcast is called Hashtag Am Writing, and if you're looking for it on whatever podcast app you prefer to use, uh, it, it has very interesting cover art. It is a yellow square of cover art with a drawing of a chicken on it, <laughs> and underneath it says Hashtag Am Writing. So it should be pretty easy to find. If you enjoy it, go ahead and subscribe to their show. And heck, if you haven't subscribed to my show, go ahead and subscribe. <laughs> I know that from both of us, we would really appreciate that. So I'm going to stop talking just for now and switch over to the interview with Catherine Center over at hashtag amwriting. But as always, thank you for listening. You are wonderful. I appreciate you so much. And I hope that, that your writing is going well. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now, one, two, three. Okay. Hey, I'm KJ Delatonia, and this is Hashtag Am Writing, the podcast about writing all the things that I can remember. Short things, long things, fiction, non-fiction, pitches, proposals. We are the weekly podcast about sitting down and getting that work done. I'm Serena Bowen. I'm the 21-time USA Today bestselling author of a whole bunch of romance novels. My new one is going to be called Must Love Hockey, and it's coming later this month. And um, Jess is off today, so... I am KJ Delantonia. I am the author of the novel The Chicken Sisters, the nonfiction book How to Be a Happier Parent, and a new novel coming out this summer, In Her Boots. I am also the former editor and lead writer of The Motherlode at the New York Times, where I haven't contributed for a while, and I'm starting to feel like I might possibly write another essay sometime again soon. I'm finally feeling not empty. So that's me. 
Oh, and we have a guest today. We are super excited about it. So I'm going to read an introduction for our guest, who is Catherine Center. Catherine is the author of nine bittersweet comic novels about how we fall down and how we get back up. Her book, Happiness for Beginners, is in the process of being made into a Netflix movie. And you can watch the adaptation of an earlier book, The Lost Husband, right now. I would call her books propulsive and plotty, and yet they are also deeply character-driven, and we're going to be talking about that. Catherine says she writes big-hearted books about resilience and struggle and ways to savor life's moment of grace. Welcome! Thank you! Thanks for coming! Oh my gosh! I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We have endless, endless, endless uh, questions for Catherine, and any regular listener of the podcast knows that we mention your books a lot because we really enjoy them. Um, and I wanted to start by talking about, let, let's go back in time and talk about the evolution of your career. So listeners, Catherine has published, as well, eight books now, and the ninth is coming in the summer of 2022. We will be vaguely pub date sisters. We're, we're pretty close. Um, but your earlier books are, it goes 07, 09, 10, 13, 15, 18, 19, 20, and then 22. And um, I'm going to ask sort of a long-winded question here, because your first books, the earlier ones, they're about sisterhood and single motherhood and finding yourself. And they're, they were certainly, you know, there's plenty of plot, lots and lots to read, but you got more plotty as time went on. And you started also to lean into what I would call big drama, um, paralysis, bigger medical issues. One's a spoiler, so I'm not going to get into it. Uh, teachers dealing with the threats of their profession. So there's lots of romance and there's lots of character growth, but there's also all this other stuff going on. And I wanted to ask, and now you can talk for a long time, how did you sort of evolve into this place? Ooh, that's a good question. So um, you're, I think you're right. I think I definitely have um, shifted over time in terms of where, uh, where I focus. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I started out writing and I had had a lot of literary training. Um, you know, I, I thought of myself as very literary in high school. And then I went off to Vassar College, which is a rather literary place. And I won the Vassar College Fiction Prize and, you know, wanted to be kind of like a fancy person. And then I uh, moved home to Houston and went to the University of Houston's Creative Writing Program, which is ranked second in the nation. It is very on the literary end of things. And I got a master's in, in fiction writing from there. And so all of my early training was like, you know, I was reading like Faulkner, you know, I was mm -hmm. reading very, very literary stuff. And I thought that if you wanted to be, I mean, when I was a lot younger, I really thought that if you wanted to be a good writer, you needed to be a literary writer. Um, and that, and, and, and I would say that from then on, you know, that was, I mean, I went to grad school when I was 22 or 23. So um, I was very young and um, I thought I was old at the time, but um, I figured out that I was not. Uh, and I found that uh, most of my writing life from sort of then on has been this sort of process of desnobification. <laughs> um, I love it. I had to let a lot of those assumptions that I absorbed as a like teenager and early 20s person, 
um, without really questioning those things, um, I've had to rethink them, right? And I've had to come up with very slowly over time my own definition of what it means to be a good writer, what a good story is. And, you know, I actually think that definition is a little bit different for everybody, right? It sort of depends on what you like. You know, like I like if I see a review of my book that's like, well, I normally only ever read thrillers, but I read this Catherine Center book and it didn't do anything for me. I'm like, well, of course, like it's not a thrill. Like if that's what you like, then this book isn't going to do anything for you. Right. Because you are looking for something else. And I have a whole bunch of theories on what we're doing when we're turning to certain types of fiction or trying to work through certain types of story questions in stories but, um, but basically, you know, I had to, I went through a long period after grad school where I could not get published anywhere. I mean, I spent basically like eight solid years sending short stories to The New Yorker and getting rejected. That's what I did. I went to grad school and then I taught creative writing to little kids and got rejected for years. And um, it was kind of only through that process of things not kind of going the way I wanted them to go or thought they ought to go or expected them to go, that I was kind of forced to kind of get back in there and figure out, okay, why am I doing this? You know, what am I doing this for? Like, and, and why am I here again? And what's the point of all of it? And who am I writing these stories for, right? And at first, I think on some very basic level, without even really questioning it or thinking about it, I was writing stories for like my various English teachers that I had Mm -hmm. had over the years, right? You like, I'm a like very obedient, uh, sweet hearted, you know, little student. And, um, you know, always growing up, I just wanted my teachers to think that the stuff I was writing was good. But at a certain point, I mean, the part of the process of growing up is shifting from trying to please people who are on the outside, whether it's teachers or parents or whoever, um, and learning how to like pay attention to what you love in a story, like you yourself as a reader. I mean, that's kind of been my whole journey, right? Is to kind mm-hmm. of to kind of um, move inward and find my own compass about what I really, really love in a story. Like if I had a free Saturday and a fuzzy blanket and a hot cup of tea, what kind of story would I want to read? And it's not Faulkner. I mean, in the end, <laughs> I mean, you know. That is so interesting to hear you talk about this evolution because um, I I didn't expect that even though, you know, the writing in your books is so flawless and so well observed that, you know, the idea that you might have gone the MFA route doesn't surprise me. It's just that your stories now and the voice that you found have some really classic romance arcs running through them. Um, so, you know, that you didn't get from Faulkner. No, (laughs) no, that's that's really neat. Um, so I, yeah, so I actually, um, the year that I turned 40, I discovered romance novels. So this is like the most tragic thing. I, I wasted so much time when I could have been reading romance novels, like how sad for me. Um, but you know, I kind of grew up in the Nora Ephron era. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and imprinted very hard on When Harry Met Sally. And and I love banter and I love rom-coms and I love dialogue and I love um, love stories, right? But I never really did like a deep dive into actual romance novels until the year I turned 40. My my agent, who has a number of 
folks she represents who are romance writers sent me one of her other clients books as a present and I opened it up and started reading and seriously like two hours later I was in the car driving to the bookstore to get myself another one and I <laughs> I spent the whole year and beyond um, reading absolutely nothing but romance novels eating them voraciously like I felt like a person who had spent her entire life eating boneless skinless chicken breast and I had just discovered chocolate cake like <laughs> and it was it and I and still that's my go-to favorite thing to read um sure like grocery store um romance novels typically historicals are like my favorite but the I like I came to love that boxy little shape of the mass market paperback like just get in the bathtub with one of those cute little things like a box of candy and um <laughs> So for me, that was incredibly liberating, you know, and it taught me a lot about plot. So KJ, your first question about like, you've become more plotty, you mm-hmm. know, when I was younger, I foolishly thought that the most important thing a writer needed to do in a book, or at least the most important thing I needed to do was have a really great voice. And I thought mm. that if the voice of the story was compelling and engaging, and if the dialogue in the story was funny, that that would be enough, you know, to kind of give people a satisfying read. And I, you know, I still love those things. Voice and dialogue are like two of my favorite things. And they're kind of the two things that come the most easily to me. So it's easy to love them. But um, what I didn't understand starting out is how incredibly important the underlying structure of the plot is in terms of giving people the kind of emotional experience you want to give them as a writer, you know, like, there's a quote that I love about writing from Dwight V. Swain, great granddaddy of books about how to write. And he says, um, a story is something you do to a reader. And I've spent like a huge amount of time trying to figure out what do I want to do to people? You know, what do I want writers to do to me? And what do I want to do to readers? Right. And, and, then, and then once I kind of know what that is, then trying to really pay attention to um, how, like, what's the best way to do that? Right. If I want to make somebody swoon or if I want to make somebody cry, or if I want to make somebody feel hopeful or make them feel inspired, like what are my, what's the best way to do that? What are my options? Right. And what's, what are the best strategies and the techniques? And so, um, yeah, I have definitely become more plotty and it's partly just because I've gotten better at plot. I mean, I've really worked very, very hard to understand what the underlying structure needs to be for a read to be satisfying for, to me, to me. I mean, there's mm-hmm. plenty of ways mm-hmm. to structure a story, but like when, I, when I've read a book that just totally, you know, uh, astonished me and left me thinking about it for days or like, or a book that I couldn't put down, a book that kept me up until like two in the morning, what, what was the structure of that book? Like how did that writer get me hooked in that crazy way? And, and so I've, every time I read a book like that, I break it down. I take, I've got tons and tons of notes. I mean, I, I really, really am constantly... Mm-hmm studying it and thinking about it and trying to figure it out, you know, ripping everything apart. That is super cool and such a mature, you know, way to realize that you've got control of the vehicle. And I love that um, a story is something you do to someone else. That's really neat. And it, it reminds me of figuring out that I was in charge of where the lens was pointed sort of like a magician, like, hey, look over here, you know, like you, you, you can do that. It's, it's all, you know, under your control. Yeah, you can do it and you need to do it. Like the better you are at doing that stuff, 
the better you are at surprising people and you know setting things up and paying them off and um but you know it's a it's a process like i think my i really love my the books that i'm writing now um I like them, I think they're better. I like them better than the books that I started out writing. I mean, I have a lot of affection for those early books. And there's, a, and you could definitely see the, the connections. I mean, they sound like me. The dialogue is a lot like me. I mean, it's clearly me. But I just have worked really, really hard to try and make each book a little bit better than the book that came before it in some way or another, right? To master some new, new thing. And I'm sure that this is something that changes from book to book, but I was, so, so your books tend to be so tightly uh, wound together in terms of the, the, the reason that the person is on the plot journey that they're on is also a piece of the emotional journey that they're on. And often all the secondary characters are also, uh, you know, if one character is, um, fighting to be willing to take risks and be happy again. All the characters are fighting to be willing in some different way. So I wondered how you build that. Like, where do you try to start? Where do you really start? Where have you started and then decided that maybe it'd be easier if you started somewhere else? Um, I really think a lot about character arcs because I think ultimately that's the reason we're all there, right? Like, well, Mm -hmm. well, we're there. I'm there to swoon also. Like, I definitely would like to swoon. Um, but I think that I always think of my stories as kind of half romance and half personal growth. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's always something, you know, like in How to Walk Away, she's in a plane crash, the main character Maggie on the day she gets engaged. Right. And and she spends most of the novel, um, you know, in the hospital trying to uh, learn how to walk again. And that's kind of one of the story questions that's pulling you through the book is like, is she, you know, is she going to get there? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and that side of it is the personal growth side. That's the, the hard stuff, right? Because in life in general, it's not the times we go to Disneyland that really force us to grow, right? It's the times that we have to go through really, really hard, genuinely hard stuff. That's when our lives sort of break open and then we have to figure out how to put them back together in new ways. And I'm really, really interested in how people do that. I'm not great at it. I'm like, you know, I'm a total quitter and I'm easily discouraged and I can easily fall into pessimism and just kind of lie on the floor and just kind of be like, you know what, we're all doomed. You know, it's very easy for me to um, lose my my optimism and, and my energy around a lot of things. And so I'm always totally, totally captivated seeing stories of people who have to go through hard stuff and find some way to come out the other side wiser and better and um, more compassionate, you know, in some way, like where the suffering or the struggle leads them to some version of their own strength. I love those kinds of stories. And I also love romance. I love love. I love kissing. I love cuddling. I love banter. I love flirting. I love that sort of delicious sort of sparkly, glittery sense of possibility that comes from those stories. So I always feel like the the hardship in the story is the growth and the and the struggle and that's not necessarily super fun and i always think that the love story in the story is the fun part and i want to balance it you know i want to balance the darkness and the light you know i think you need the you need the emotional ballast of hardship for me for the kind of story that i want to do but you also need uh, you need joy you know mm-hmm. i mean I, I think in in the literary world we tend to 
um, think that only misery and sorrow and grief and dark underbellies are the things that matter. And I think those things do matter, but I also think that joy matters, right? And, and laughter matters and giggling and rolling around and tickling people and um, piggyback rides, like all the good things <laughs> in life also matter. And I tend to be much more sort of in tune with the darkness and the shadows. It's really easy for me to just focus on everything that's wrong. And I'm always trying to teach myself how to remember to like savor the good stuff, right? And, and appreciate the light and kind of move in that direction. So it's it's for readers and it's for the story, but it's also like for me specifically, like mm. every one of these books is, a, is about some kind of thing that I need to think about and grapple with. And so, yeah, I've already forgotten what your question was. <laughs> well, we were talking about how you build it, like where where you start and what you need to how you find the pieces that go together. Yeah. 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 So I, so <laughs> I didn't answer your question at all, but the answer to your question for me is I always start with a character who has something she needs to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that. Like I don't start writing until I know what that is. Um, and uh, she needs to be, you know, angry about something, struggling with forgiveness, uh, closed off. Right. Or she needs to have some, unexamined assumption in her life that the story then comes along to force her to re-examine right and that's what the story is for you know like I wrote this book things you save in a fire it's about this uh, lady firefighter and she thinks her life is good at the beginning and then she gets sent from her like sort of happy little firehouse in Austin that's very progressive and happy to have you know a girl and uh, she gets sent to another firehouse that has never had a woman working there before, and they're not super happy to have her there. And everything in that move, everything in that change is there to kind of break her open and force her to reexamine what really matters in her life and who she wants to be. Um, so it's hard. You know, it's hard. She, go, she has to give up something that was comfortable and easy and that she thought she had it all figured out, and she has to go to a situation that's not easy or comfortable but the, that process is where the change comes from, right? The process, that, that process is where she has to figure out how to be a better version of herself. And so that's where the growth comes from. And that's, that's something I love. And for me, the love story is always a part of that growth, right? Mm-hmm. So when she gets to that firehouse, she thinks it's a disaster that she's finding herself attracted to this super cute rookie in the firehouse. And I mean, technically it is given the parameters that she set up for her life but of course you know his kindness and his warmth and the fact that he's always baking cookies and (laughs) adopting puppies and looking after her all of that stuff helps her reevaluate what really matters in the life that she set up for herself so it's it's hard but it's good for her in the end in other ways I loved in that book that you didn't um back away from what you wanted to accomplish with him specifically like he's a little bit over the top in a in a wonderful way you know you're like he's already dazzling let's put a puppy in this man's hands you know <laughs> like it's not enough that he's already super cool we're, we're gonna have to put a puppy you know in the scene because you know we're going all the way yeah absolutely no fear well that that's so that is kind of one of my pro my questions is how did you get to no fear because the first books that you wrote don't lean as hard on the puppies or the drama or the um you know the the big the big 
thing that forces, like, all your books contain a story that forces your protagonists to re-examine their lives, but they get, the things have been getting sort of progressively bigger, um, and, you know, they they presumably will go in and out of that, but we talk a lot on the podcast about giving yourself permission to explore these big things. I feel like, um, as a, as a baby writer and, even just as any kind of a writer, we're often saying to ourselves, oh, no, that's too much. That's too much. Um, and you don't say that's too much, or at least you don't seem to. So I would love to hear how you stopped that voice if you had it. Um, I, gosh, that's a really good question. You know, I think that basically I've, I think it's that the thing that kind of helps you feel sure-footed as you decide what your story is going to be about and where it's going to go, um, for me, I think it's following that that compass. It's being really, really comfortable with knowing what it is that I like in a story, right? Mm-hmm. And and like so, for example, like every book I ever read, well, maybe not every, but a lot of the books that I read, I take notes on them. I don't review them on Goodreads because I never, ever want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I have like a a personal, you know, little Word document on my computer where I, every time I read a book, I go and I write about it. And I write about like, what did I, you know, what was my reaction? What worked? What didn't work? You know, but what I really, really, really try to focus on more than what didn't work is what I loved. You know, I try to let the stuff that wasn't working for me go because mm-hmm. I very much believe that you can never show yourself the path of where to go by talking about where not to go. Mm-hmm. So I really try to focus on, okay, what can I learn from this book? What did I love about this book? What, what part, you know, captured me in some way or another? What, what, what can I admire here? So in some really essential way, I think the older I get, the more I have allowed love to be my guide, you know, and just, I just find myself like following what I'm drawn to and what I love and kind of trusting my own instincts about that. I mean, the hope is, the hope for me is that if I write the kind of book that I love, hopefully there'll be other people out there who want to love it too. I mean, who, who are looking for that same thing, you know? And um, so for example, I have a new book coming out this summer. It's called The Bodyguard. And um, it is a story about a bodyguard. The main character is a female bodyguard. And she gets hired to protect um, kind of a world-famous actor. And I agree with you. This is a much bigger kind of story, right? Um, I st- and I'm there for it, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, there are so many things in that sentence that I am there for, I'm, which is another thing that we talk about a lot on the podcast and, and in recording our own books is what is your what is your id crave? This is a Rebecca Lynn Barnes um, way of putting it. But what is your id crave in a story? What 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 is it that for you? You're like, what? Twins separated at birth. So there, you know, um, what is it? So anyway, yeah. I'm there for all no, that. No, no, no. I agree with that. I mean, I, I certainly pay a lot more attention to tropes as a, as a grown up writer than I did when <laughs> I was younger. When I was younger, I thought you were supposed to like be original. Right. You Those know? are bad. I mean, you I can't thought do that. yeah. that's been done. And I worried a lot about, you know, uh, I, you know, I was like, I wanted to like make my own 
story that had no relationship to anybody else's story that had ever happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I don't worry about any of that anymore. Like I'm all about the tropes now because the tropes are there for a reason. You know, they are engaging and they are compelling and they immediately get us sort of hooked and curious about what's going to happen. And I also think, you know, they teach you in grad school to worry so much about cliches, right? But I really think that cliches are much more about how you write it than about mm-hmm. what you're writing about. You know, I think you can take a big trope and do it in a really authentic, complex way that feels very fresh. Um, and to me, that's not, even if the trope's been done a million times, if you're rendering it in a way that feels unique, then you're good. You know, you're good. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and because as as a reader, as a writer, you're like, well, I can't write a book about a, a bodyguard and a famous person because that's been done. But as a reader, you're like, please bring me all the books about bodyguards and famous people and stack them right here. And that's what I'll do for like, you know, the month of February. So yep. it's funny. So I so when I first started coming up with this idea and, and this was the book that I was writing during the pandemic. Right. So during lockdown in 2020. I, at first, wanted to write a story about a lady bodyguard. I knew that from the very beginning, Um, but I wasn't sure who she was going to be protecting. So I was sort of flipping through, you know, doing research and looking around, like, what kind of people do bodyguards protect? Well, they protect um, business people, like wealthy business people traveling. Um, They protect actors um, and they protect, um, like, witnesses in trials and stuff. Mm. So my literary training was kind of like, okay, what's the least interesting one? <laughs> what is the saddest and least right, interesting right. of these possibilities? Right. What's the grayest? What's the grimmest one of these <laughs> right. I can come up with, right. Mr. MFA? Right. Guy in, your, guy in my MFA? Right. Because, my, yes, exactly. Because my literary training wanted it to be as quote unquote realistic as possible. So let's pick something that just sounds like boring old everyday life. So I started with with Jack Stapleton, who is kind of the love interest in the story, as um, as a scientist who had been working for a company that had been engaged in some kind of malfeasance and he was having to testify against them. And she was hired to, you know, kind of keep him safe during the trial. And I just couldn't <laughs> make myself do the research on his job. Like I just wasn't interested in it. And I was trying and I was trying to make myself do it. And it felt like homework and I didn't want to do it. And finally, I wound up having this conversation with my editor where I was like, I'm just struggling with this guy's job. I don't care about the corporate malfeasance. I'm just not interested. And she was like, well, why can't he be an actor? And it was just this really funny. It's like, it was because like, that would be too much fun and I would enjoy it too much and Raiders would really like yeah, it. Yeah. So, and we don't want that. So that was, I mean, that's literally what I said to her. I was like, isn't that too fun? You know, and there was this long pause and then she just went, you know what? It's 2020. Nothing is too fun. There's no such thing as too fun anymore. So it, but it did take me a second to kind of give myself permission to lean into a story that on the outside sounded so false, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but fortunately, I had already done a lot of other work on her job. Like I had done a huge amount of research on like why women bodyguards are in like high demand and how, th- how those jobs work and what they do and what the job is really about versus what you would think it would be about. So I kind of already had this sort of authenticity portal for getting mm-hmm. into the story. And then um, and then for me, it was really very much about just figuring out who these people were and making them both very, very real. You know, and, and 
and bringing as much authenticity into it as possible. So that the the idea of the story is kind of like larger than life and kind of um, very sort of high concept, but the people feel utterly, utterly real to me. And it's actually, it's set on a, um, a Texas ranch because Jack has come home to Texas where he's from because his mother has breast cancer and she's going through treatment. So he's come home to sort of be with her during the treatment. And for me, that was anchoring, just that situation mm-hmm. right there, because that's mm-hmm. the kind of situation in life that just bypasses all of the bullshit out there right. in the world, right? When someone you love is ill, suddenly everything's totally real, right? There's no fantasy there anymore. And then, um, but then I wound up setting it, the setting the story on their ranch, the Stapleton's Texas Cattle Ranch. And I am from Texas and we have a cattle ranch in my family. And it was my grandparents' place. And I grew up running around on this cattle ranch. I mean, we have, you know, 500 acres on the Brazos River and, and my mom is literally a, like a cattle breeder. So, um, so I set these, I set this sort of very, to me, very fantastical story in this actual real place. Like the Stapleton's mm-hmm. house is my grandparents' house, right? Yeah. The kitchen mm-hmm. where uh, Jack's dad is burning bacon is the kitchen that was my grandparents' kitchen. So it all... So I surrounded sort of the bigger fantasy sort of elements of the story with things that felt utterly, utterly real. I mean, there's a scene where the main character almost drowns in the Brazos River. And I've spent so much of my life being told not to drown in the Brazos River by my mother because the Brazos Mm -hmm. River is a very dangerous river that you're not supposed to swim in. Um, So, yeah, I think that's but but so but that is this story is sort of bigger in those ways than a lot of the other stories that I've written. And I did in this situation kind of have to give myself permission to be like, all right, we're doing this. But I also think it wasn't that hard to give myself that permission because I know that as a reader, I would love that story. Like I'm in, you know, like to me, that is that I am already hooked. Even, you know, just hearing what the elements of the story, I myself as a reader am hooked. So, yeah. So I think it's, Giving yourself that permission, I think, is about understanding and knowing from the inside out what it is that you really love. Right. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I could go on pretty much all day, but but this is about as much talking about writing as we usually manage to pull off in the podcast. So I guess we'll stop and maybe try to resume another time. So let's take a quick pause and then um, talk about, we always like to talk about what we've been reading. Well, we love to have our guests go first, Catherine. So give us something good you have been loving lately, because like you and Goodreads, we also don't really, it's hard to write a book. So if there's something we don't care for, that's just because it wasn't for us. We like to talk about things that were for us. Yeah. Well, I've been really lucky. Um, the last two books that I read, I loved them both just madly. Um, and so I just read um, Christina Lauren's new book. And it's not out yet. It's going to come out in the spring or the summer. It's called Something Wilder. And Christina Lauren, I discovered during the pandemic. Um, you know, and I just feel... As many people did. Yeah. I feel so lucky to have found them. You know, it's two friends, Christina mm-hmm. and Lauren, yep. writing together. And, um, you know, when I come across a writer who is genuinely funny, when I come across rom-coms that are genuinely swoony and just build you into this kind of delicious frenzy, 
I just want to shout from the rooftops. Like, it's so thrilling to me. I mean, I'm just elated. And that's how I felt when I first, the first book of theirs I read was The Unhoneymooners. Well, um, that was my first one of theirs too. So and I really, good. I sort of didn't expect to enjoy it. Again, like that trope. I was like, well, on the one hand, I'm all in for this, but on the other hand, I don't know. But oh, it's so much it's fun. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And so, okay, so so I got to um, read an early copy of the that new book. It's called Something Wilder, and it was super fun and delicious. And then I also got to read an early copy of um, Emily Henry's new book, and she's also a fairly new discovery for me. Um, I so, also just read that book. Oh, you so. did? Okay, so I just read Book <laughs> yeah. Lovers, which comes out in the summer. And, um, you know, again, just like, her books are so funny and so wry. Her dialogue is so fantastic. But she's also like, they're very kind of like self-aware, these books, in, in a way that is, um, I don't know, just smart and sassy and just super, super fun to read. So I loved both of those books. And um, it's pretty rare for me to read two in a row that I'm totally swooning over. But I did. And so that's been a good start to the year. I felt very lucky. Yeah, I hard, hard second on the Emily Henry and I handed it off to Serena. Who- <laughs> Has it somewhere in the house right now? It's on my floor. That's right. Yeah, I thought <laughs> that just, it gave you everything you were hoping for exactly. when you, so yeah, readers. I feel like my new pitch to people is pre-order because you're giving your future self a little happy gift. <laughs> and I don't know about anyone else, but my theme this year and something that i am just been thinking a lot about is how much I need things to look forward to. Yep. Um, so if you like sort of took a look and like for every month, you're like, I'm going to pre-order a book for February and I'm going to pre-order one for March and I'm going to, and then you just lined them all up. Then every month you would know that past you had selected a nice book for you. I fully agree with that. That's a brilliant way to live your life. <laughs> so Serena, what have you been reading lately? Well, I just finished a book that's coming out in April called The Long Game by Rachel Reed. And um, it's lovely. And the thing that's so interesting to me about this book is that it's a true sequel. So Rachel Reed writes um, a hockey series for Karina. I believe it's Karina, a part of Harlequin. Um, And the book of hers that everyone talks about is called Heated Rivalry. And it's fabulous. It's it's just a wonderful, you know, amazing writing. Um, A Russian guy and an American guy and their rivals and they have been carrying on a secret relationship for years and it's so well drawn just so character driven and like you know so this book got a lot of a lot of chatter she did an amazing job on it but she kind of left them in an an awkward place I mean I felt it was a complete story but there was still a lot that that had to happen to them and she built a whole series arc about it and this book is the rest of their story. So it's so hard to go back to um, a story that readers are super invested in and then take it further and throw more stuff at those people. And, you know, that is just it's much harder than starting f- from scratch. And I thought she did an amazing job on it. And um, it's just really cool to see that. Well, thematically, I'm right with you, too, except that my, my the book I read just finished is out. In fact, I got it from my library. Uh, which is one of my resolutions for this year. Um, I, I I supported my independent bookstore really hard in 2020 and 2021, and I will continue to do so, but I'm going to support my library a little bit too. 
So I just finished Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. Ah. We've talked about Alexis Hall before. He is the author of um, Rosie Palmer Takes the Cake, which both Serena and I really enjoyed. And Boyfriend Material was an earlier book. So, so funny. Just I just literally laughed out loud last night as I was finishing it up. There was some line that I just was like, ah! um, it was just a glor uh, glorious. And what I loved about this book is, you know, you're reading along and you're reading along and it's a romance. It's a rom-com, but it's a romance. So you read and there's only like a teeny tiny bit left. And it's like, wait, something's got to go wrong. Because if it doesn't, like, I love a good happy ending, but a too easy happy ending is a real reader disappointment, right? So I'm trying to think, trying to figure out what's going to happen here. Like, how is this going to sort of fall apart and come back together and be stronger? And the way that it did was not what I expected. And was so well done and so realistic um, in what was also an otherwise sort of um, tropey uh, trope and somewhat unrealistic book uh, in a, the most glorious, happy, hysterical way that uh, that is possible. I, I just thought that the ending was really, really well done. So anyway. I think he's hilarious. Lots of good piles. Yeah. He has a cozy mystery of all things that is only available on Kobo. And I'm going to Kobo just so I can get it. Oh, yes. I know you Kobo, I'm a Serena, Kobo but reader I am not. generally, but yeah, I, I would totally go there just for him. And yeah. yeah, so expect to hear about that later. Yeah. And he's also one of the few people I miss seeing on Twitter. Like I can, there's like four of them, but <laughs> his Twitter is hilarious. <laughs> well, Alexis Hall, if you're listening, which you aren't, Instagram for us, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This this was great. Catherine, thank you so much. So Catherine's new book, The Bodyguard, will be coming out this summer. It's June, right? I think it's, I want to say July 19th. Oh, July 19th. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so kind of in the middle of the summer. Right, so pre-order that to give yourself a special beach surprise <laughs> arriving in your mailbox. Um, and you will so, so, so totally not be sorry. And clearly, the best place to follow Catherine is on Instagram where you are... Oh, Catherine uh, just Center. Catherine Center. Yeah, just all smushed together. Yep. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. All right. All right. Well, if you miss us before next Friday, please feel free to swing by the Facebook group, the Am Writing Podcast Facebook group. But until then, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. <laughs>